0: I'm Marcus Smith, and this is Constant Wonder. This month, with Christmas drawing near, join me on a journey called Advent. Constant Wonder is marking this venerable tradition, a calendar of hopeful anticipation, with daily short episodes, a new Advent experience every day all the way through the 25th. Together with special guests, we are seeking out the wonder and awe felt by so many people during this season of hope, reverence, peace, and goodwill. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That question was posed in the Gospel of John by Nathaniel, also known as Bartholomew, who later became one of the Twelve Disciples of Christ. The question is clearly rhetorical implying not only his personal skepticism, but that this skepticism was shared by many others, with good reason. Nazareth, Mary and Joseph's hometown, just wasn't much to brag about.
1: Nazareth was a a little town. Uh, Luke calls it a a polis or a city, but it, it wasn't that. It was maybe a hamlet. Scholars have estimated that it was probably somewhere between 200 and 500 people at most.
0: Gay Strathern is a professor at Brigham Young University specializing in the origin of Christianity and ancient Near Eastern studies. In this two-part conversation for days 16 and 17 of Advent, we've invited her first to share a little of what archaeologists have deduced about this humble hamlet Nazareth with its backwoodsy reputation, and then tomorrow we'll hear some of her thoughts about what Mary's extraordinary experience may have been like, given her background, which appears to have been very unimpressive.
1: It was an agrarian village, it was on a hill. We have evidence of them building. Terraces so that they could have some flat area to grow their gardens, um, maybe plant some trees. We don't have much in terms of homes, but what we do have is fairly poor. So there's no evidence of limestone walls or mosaic floors. It's just probably a dirt floor that they're living in. Some of them are living in caves, some of the limestone caves in Nazareth. Probably the roofs are just thatched. We don't see any sense of tiles or any of those things. We have very rudimentary cooking ware. There's nothing that we have evidence of that is that it was imported at all. It was just local ware. And frankly, in the Galilee, people were farmers or fishermen or artisans who are subsistence living, right? They're working from sunrise to sunset just to survive for one more day and pay their taxes and put food on the table for their families.
0: The ancient hamlet Nazareth in Galilee that Gay Strathern is describing remained so inconsequential in so many minds for so many centuries that no one really ever tried to preserve or study or honor it. After all, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I asked Gay what modern researchers might know about Mary's Nazareth possibly having had a central gathering place, like a synagogue, for instance.
1: Archaeologically, it's complex. There's no evidence of any public structures in Nazareth at this point during the first century
0: existence for someone like Mary in her society would have been all focused on, well, yes, subsistence, but but then religion too.
1: Yes, we would think that given the story that we have in Luke, but outside of that, we don't have anything except that we do have the burials are kind of reflective of Jewish burials. That's one of the things when you deal with antiquity, right? You get a piece of a puzzle, uh, is all sometimes rather than the full picture. Nazareth is it's not mentioned anywhere in the Old Testament. It's not mentioned by Josephus. When he was commander of the Jewish forces, he had his headquarters in Sepphoris that was like three and a half miles away. And he mentions 46 towns in the Galilee and he never mentions Nazareth. It didn't stand out in any way that it was noticed.
0: So, growing up as she did in a backwater like Nazareth, is it safe to think of Mary as somebody maybe conversant with the sacred writings of her people, her religious heritage, and all of that? Uh, Can I assume at least that much?
1: That's hard to know because we don't have the evidence of the synagogue. That's really hard to say. So, when they're thinking about God, they're thinking about things that would have been passed down orally, probably. But you've got to remember that they didn't have a lot of leisure time. It was an agrarian society, that means they get up with sunrise, they work all day and they go to bed at sunset. Oftentimes in religious times, we see that there's a little bit more downtime to have them think about things outside of the mundane surviving for another day. But I think it's clear from Luke's account that Mary is aware of religious things. I can't imagine that she would ever have thought that an angel would come to her. The ancients actually believed that entering into the presence of God or divine beings, that a person could be consumed and die from that experience, I think in their mind, it would be something like us thinking about going to the sun and not having the protection and things. It's just the glory of God would consume mere mortals. And so there's often this idea they talk about the fear of God. Now, in both Hebrew and Greek, the words can also be translated as reverence awe, or respect, but there was still this fear, right? So for example, Some of the rabbis would talk about, what do you do when the high priest enters into the Holy of Holies? He's entering into the presence of God. Is he going to survive that? What happens if he doesn't survive it? If he's the only one who can go into the Holy of Holies, how do we get him out? You know, those kind of things. So the robes of the high priests have bells on the bottom. So as long as the high priest is moving around, you hear these little bells and archaeologists have found one of these bells from the first century, from a priestly robe, and it still works. So we even know what it sounds like. Other rabbis are going to say that in case something happened to him in the presence of God, they tied a rope around him so that they could pull him out without somebody going in and desecrating the Holy of Holies.
0: If the high priest's fearsome duties were concealed, even from other functionaries of the priestly class, then for an unimportant village girl like Mary... Most everything about the big city Jerusalem with its temple could well have been mysterious, strange, and inaccessible. Somebody of her low social station would have been deemed the most unlikely of candidates for a heavenly, miraculous visitation. What's more, an encounter on that order, her upbringing no doubt taught her, must certainly entail grave bodily peril, Gods and angels are dreadful. That's a pivotal aspect of the Nativity story when it comes to Mary's perspective. As we're going to hear in part two of this conversation with Gay Strathern, that's tomorrow in our ongoing series for Advent. Gay Strathern will consider with us what may have been going through the mind of this girl when a bright angel appeared to her, unbidden and unexpected. thanks for joining with us for day 16 of our Advent observance. And of course, sincere thanks to Gay Strathern, a professor at Brigham Young University specializing in the origin of Christianity and ancient Near Eastern studies. The recording you heard of the actual priest's bell from the precincts of the ancient temple can be accessed online thanks to Udi Ragones of the City of David Foundation. Today's episode of Constant Wonder was produced by Teneri Taylor with help from Colson Darrington and sound design by James Call. If you haven't yet had a chance to enjoy all of our earlier installments in this series, you can find them at byuradio.org, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Marcus Smith. Constant Wonder is a production of BYU Radio.